You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. I'd like to pay my respect to country and to all the elders, past, present and emerging, who've been part of the struggle for so long for sovereignty and self-determination. The Victorian state government has been riding high on approval ratings for their decisive response to the global pandemic. But all the while they've been basking in the glow, they've been sneaking through some really dodgy moves with extractive industries. In March, they lifted a years-long moratorium on onshore gas exploration and extended native logging agreements with the forest industry. Which is shocking news for anyone who still remembers nearly choking to death last summer on toxic smoke fumes and proves the hypocrisy of this coloniser government that claims to care about our health and welfare. This week, Tisha Nahern caught up with Gunai and Gunditjmara activist Lydia Thorpe to discuss the ongoing impacts of this continued shit show on First Peoples in Victoria, as well as her broader vision for how environment and social movements can work together more effectively with sovereign activists towards a more just transition for all of us. Thanks so much for joining me on the line for Earth Matters, Lydia. There's a lot happening under the cover of COVID-19. The Victorian government seems to be rushing through announcements that they would otherwise probably be getting a lot of scrutiny for, namely onshore gas exploration and also native forest logging. If we start with the onshore gas exploration, there was a successful community campaign that led the government to put a moratorium on onshore gas exploration and they've now lifted that. What do you think this indicates in terms of the Andrews Labor government's respect for country and for the community? Well, I think that it's disappointing. You know, it's disappointing because the Andrews government report that they are a progressive government and Dan Andrews has done an incredible job with, you know, the response with COVID-19. I think that, you know, he's shown great leadership in that space. But unfortunately, we aren't hearing these other announcements that he's made very quietly and certainly one is we're open for more drilling of gas in very, very significant areas near waterways, near totems where, you know, birds are are nesting, which are totems of the Bunwarung people. And so I, I feel that the government have really betrayed us, you know, we're in the midst of treaty conversations and building this, you know, framework for treaty to be able to negotiate and the government have lifted this moratorium which ultimately will destroy country that will never be able to recover as a result of this destructive form of of drilling at western port so i'm also disappointed that bunwarung people weren't aware of this and that many many aboriginal people across the state still aren't aware of this you know it's being very hidden from the people because they know, the government know that they would get a lot of flack over that decision to destroy country. And I think, you know, if we want to talk about a treaty, then show some good faith in the road towards the negotiations. 
And I'm just not seeing that at all right now. Extractive industries have been central to colonisation and another extractive industry is native forest logging. Also under the cover of COVID-19, the Victorian and federal governments rolled over for another 10 years the disastrous regional forestry agreements. As a member of state parliament, you were instrumental in the initiation of the treaty process between the Victorian government and traditional owners. Looking at the the regional forestry agreements, another 10 years, what does that mean for the treaty process, which you've already sort of started to talk about? Look, the one thing that I really tried hard to have included into the body of that legislation was the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And the government just were not open to having that in the body of the legislation because obviously it it does give us a lot of rights, a lot of rights to country and water. So they agreed as part of the negotiation to include the declaration to have it in the preamble of the legislation. So, you know, it doesn't carry as much weight as it would if it was in the actual body, the, the text of the legislation. The reason why I wanted to put the declaration into the body was to ensure that we had real self-determination and that we had proper, free, prior and informed consent. And with all of these extractive practices that they continue to do on our land and water, there has never been free, prior, informed consent. So that means, ultimately, there is no consent to log and there is no consent to drill country. And we'll take that up in other avenues at the right time. But, you know, in terms of treaty, if our fundamental rights as Indigenous people in this country aren't taken seriously, then how can we take this treaty conversation seriously. The first part of a treaty should be about rights and I'm not seeing those at all in this process. And when talking about the logging in the Central Highlands right now, my involvement in that has been, you know, over years now, taking clans of that particular country out there and showing them the destruction and showing them the logging coops and dead totems has been really devastating for those clans that belong to Wurundjeri, Gunai and Tanarong. And they're the three clans that cover the entirety of the Central Highlands. The clans themselves, so the people who belong to that country haven't been given the opportunity or even had a conversation about the extent of the destruction of their country. This is a problem with how government, I believe, have manufactured consent and they've done that through the cultural heritage legislation, the Victorian Aboriginal cultural heritage legislation, in which we opposed 10 years ago or Um, might be a bit less than that now, less, I think it's about eight, 
But we opposed this cultural heritage legislation because we knew the dangers it would bring. And today we're seeing exactly how that's being played out, and that is the role of registered Aboriginal parties under that Cultural Heritage Act and how they are providing the consent to destroy through this mechanism that the government have set up. So the government decide who becomes a registered Aboriginal party or not. And I can guarantee you anybody who stands up to protect country aren't seen to, you know, be favoured by the government in terms of who they, you know, their captain's picks. So that's a bit of a dig at the wraps, but, you know, in saying that, there are good registered Aboriginal parties out there that are doing the right thing. We just have some that either choose to ignore that this is happening or are actually signing off on the consent process, and that's actually happened at Western Port. There's two groups that belong to that particular part of the country and, and they'll sort that out. And, you know, this remember, this is all a symptom of colonisation and, and the attempt to wipe us out. So we've got some, some work to do ourselves as First People to rebuild. But, yeah, it's the, the government are strategising in ways where they are manufacturing consent to destroy and they're you know, they're capitalising on the fact that colonisation has hit us hard here in the southern states. They've got their strategy down pat and we need to continue to call that out and, and campaign to ensure that environment groups and climate groups have traditional owners part of their conversation and part of their campaign or or be part of our campaign and let's run one together to protect country and that's what's happened in the Central Highlands. You know, the clans and the non-Aboriginal campaigners have joined forces and the government aren't liking that one bit. I think you gave us a really wonderfully concise overarching view of the process of colonisation there, uh, the classic colonial tactic of divide and conquer and also then the importance for non-Aboriginal allies to really work against that. So perhaps that would be then a good direction for us to talk in then how non-Aboriginal allies, uh, be they environmentalists, whatever label people have, can work in meaningful solidarity with Aboriginal people and campaigns to protect land and water. So I think pay the rent is a really good concept that was talked about on Invasion Day and was a way that allies can truly get on board rather than just coming out on the 26th of January every year, which is great, but we needed a call to action. And we needed a call to action that was going to build our capacity and economically empower ourselves to become campaigners and activists, just the same way as, you know, all these other non-government organisations are doing. They have paid activists out there campaigning on our country without us. So paying the rent is one way that allies can contribute financially, but also, you know, if, if there's allies that don't have the means to contribute financially there are other ways that allies can contribute and that could be through volunteering or expertise in a particular field that 
you know, that we need to be able to become land defenders, if you like. And a good example of that is the Australian Conservation Foundation have recently agreed to pay the rent by providing a space to be able to cultivate and activate Aboriginal campaigners and Aboriginal activists in a physical space that has the resources and the, you know, the computers and the printers and in a space where we can actually run our own campaigns and self-determine our own destiny. The idea is that the sovereign space looks at our survival holistically. So we don't just campaign on environment. We don't just campaign on climate. We campaign on deaths, you know, to stop the deaths in custody. We campaign on stopping the incarceration rates of our people, the removal of our children, and also from the funds that have been generated or or, um, it's not a donation, it's actually people paying the rent for being on stolen land. There's also been a funeral fund set up because of the amount of deaths that we have in our community is just weekly really and a lot of our people are poor so we can't even afford to bury our own people so pay the rent has contributed to so many funerals since we did the call out on the 26th of January and you know we're still contributing to funerals as we speak so it's covering the holistic approach to the impacts of colonisation and genocide. It's not about welfare. It's not about reparations. It's just the right thing to do that will enable our voice to be elevated in spaces that it needs to be where it's where it's currently not. You're listening to Gunai and Gunnichamara activist Lydia Thorpe speaking with Tisha Nahern on Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. I think it's really great that you pointed out that really important for those of us in the environment movement to really understand that in quite a, a concrete way, the ways in which the degradation of the environment is just one part of a colonial process and all the other ways in which uh, colonisation affects Aboriginal people. So for supporters who would love to get involved, who'd love to pay the rent, how can they do that? Uh, there's a website which is paytherent.net.au. I'm not involved in it as much as I was when it first began, but there is a there's a sovereign body and a corporate arm, and the corporate arm is made up of allies. So, in fact, the allies are the signatures to the account, um, and that's how we've we've set it up. The sovereign body are the people that organise and then there's a sovereign elders body on top of that that basically provide the guidance of the whole pay the rent campaign to ensure that you know the philosophy and the the foundation of pay the rent is still enacted in everything that happens from it because it is an old concept it happened in the early 80s through the National Aboriginal and Islander Health Organisation and it was back then when our elders were looking at ways to economically empower 
themselves to be able to have a, a political voice in this country. So it's, a, it's an old concept that we've reinvigorated and we need to make sure that um, those principles are maintained. And, yeah, it's a really, you know, um, practical way that allies can contribute. I, I just want to also remind people that this is about building a movement with First Nations voices at the forefront. And this is about bringing the movements together instead of how we've been operating, you know, separately for so long. My vision is to bring all of those movements together. Uh, We're already collectively fighting for the same thing, but we're fighting differently. Um, And, you know, you have the the poor blackfellas on one side and then you have the well-resourced, you know, campaigns on the other. And I think it's time that we stop doing it that way and that we empower first people to be part of those conversations and campaigns, but also, you know, stepping aside and acknowledging that we need to be at the forefront because it is our country after all. Absolutely, a powerful vision and certainly one whose time has come. Would you like to give a quick update about where Japurung is at? Well, I mean, we're still resisting there and, and thanks to Zalanak, still holding the line. And so I don't think that um, we're going to be going anywhere anytime soon. I think we've wedged the government on this and they know it because they can't talk treaty and um, in the same breath want to destroy trees and, you know, hashtag no trees, no treaty. But, you know, we'll continue with the court proceedings and put pressure on the government to give us the protection that we need for that area because it's not just the trees, it's the whole landscape. The trees won't survive without the landscape. And I think it's a really good example of assertion of sovereignty and sovereign rights over country that we want allies to be a part of because this is not just about our lands as as Aboriginal people, this is about lands for all of our futures and we want all people to be proud of the stories that come from places like the Japarung Embassy and and the country around that area. I think it's it's just as important for non-Aboriginal people to learn those stories and be a part of it. And really inspiring campaign as well, I've got to say one of the most vital and inspiring environmental campaigns I feel like that's been happening here. So, it's yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, and that's a real show of solidarity, I think. You know, when we've done call-outs, people came. And I think that that's what we need to be doing more of. The sad part about it, I suppose, is when I went around the country and spoke to blackfellas and, and environment groups on the, on some work I was doing with, the ACF, you know, I discovered struggles that our people were having in different parts of the country that had absolutely no support. And it just saddened me that, you know, it's kind of, you could see this fantastic campaign running on, on my country, Japarung country, and then I go to Debing Creek and I see two elders sitting there pr- to protect um, a burial site that Avi Jennings wants to build apartments on. Um, so, you know, we need to have some consistency across the nation and we need to look in our own backyards and see how 
or who's protecting country um, and who's who's standing on the front line and what kind of supports do they have. It's not about, you know, the time that I was at Deebing Creek and sat with those elders. So, um, you know, there's a couple of allies that did come along, but they just wanted to take the information from those two elders who I could see were very, very tired. And I, you know, I said to a couple of those allies, you need to come here and give, not receive. You know, we can't keep doing this to our people. So I, I just want to, you know, mention that because I think that's something else that allies really need to take into account, that we are fair, very few and far between. The genocide has impacted our people so great in this country that um, there's, you know, there's just not many of us left and we need to lighten that load on our people and our country and, you know, you can show support in other ways and I think pay the rent is a very good way to do that. Paying the rent and and showing up seem like such uh, simple but powerful things that allies can do. Hmm. The, The black activists on the front line They're fighting their own corporations for signing off, which sometimes is your own mob. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really difficult when you put in that situation. And we're fighting the government who are allowing this to happen. Then we're fighting the corporations or the mining company that's doing the damage. So it's how much more can you bear knowing that those activists on the front line are also experiencing deaths in custody, removal of children, incarceration. So it's this multiple of, you know, issues that or oppression that we face as, as black activists. We're not immune from any of those things that are happening to our people. And so certainly allies need to be aware of this and have some perhaps humility would you say yes absolutely and usually well actually i would say 99.9 percent of the time those black activists don't have a pay packet you know they don't they're not sitting in some job and being paid to be there or have taken leave to be there they are poor blackfellas that are standing on the line because that is the that's what we have to do as blackfellas to protect country and that's what drives us that's what keeps us going so yeah i think that element is you know i'm i'm just sick of seeing my people struggle to survive first and foremost and then to go out there and protect country whilst they're in survival mode i'm it's it's enough's enough it's 2020 Mm. we've got enough allies on board now that we can change that up and we can empower economically and um you know have black activists that are out there and and still being able to pay for their rent and and food on the table back at home Lydia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me is there anything that we haven't covered so far that that you'd like to mention? Yeah, I mean, I think what needs to happen is we need to do a mapping exercise of the destruction that's going on in this country. Hmm. We need to do a mapping exercise of who are the traditional owners and, and are they involved? What is their view on that 
that bit of destruction that's going on on their country because I can guarantee you more than half of the Aboriginal people who are from that part of the country won't be in agreement of what's happening or won't mm. even know what is happening. And one beautiful example of that is a sand mine happening on the west side of Garraward, which is what the colonisers called the Grampians. Mm. And when I spoke to those traditional owners, which neighbour neighbour um, Japarung country, they had no idea about this sand mine that was destroying the country. They had no idea. Environment groups know about this, right? So we need to we need to be working better together so that Aboriginal people know what is going on on their country. And the logging in the Central Highlands is another good example with those clans not knowing the extent of the damage. So, and we're fixing that, you know, we've got a good relationship and and that is working well now. But that needs to happen around the country. Especially if there's people whose country it is not to be aware and how can you even take action if you don't know what's happening on the country? That's right. And that's because it goes, it, it may go to the corporation, the Aboriginal corporation that's being given the authority to speak on that country from the government. You know, I'm a member of two of those corporations and I don't get information about what happens on my country. I don't get information about the logging in the Central Highlands from my corporation. I don't get information even about the Japarung trees from my other corporation. So we don't get the information. We are members of these corporations. We are traditional owners of that country. We don't get anything. So in terms of free prior informed consent, there is none. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, we heard from Gunnar and Goodichamara activist Lydia Thorpe speaking with Tisha Nahern. You can find our podcasts, including today's show, at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via your favourite podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe and why not give us a review to help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for getting this show out to you, our listeners. Earth Matters is produced with the support of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com, or you can find us on your socials. That's all for today, but tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your dial. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. 
genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Those people who have no land rights haven't got justice, but neither do those people who have land rights have justice. You're listening to Community Radio Network around Australia, brought to you by 3CR Community Radio. So stay tuned as we bring you news, live updates, music and interviews with Aboriginal people from around the country. The only free body we have is the Aboriginal government on the grassroots and the Aboriginal embassy on the lawns outside the old parliament house. We will not go away. And as that stone rests in that mountain, and as our spirit rests in this country and over this country, we will not go away. Neither shall our power pass. And that's here forever until justice comes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.